Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. No. No, it's it's still me. It's just Tom. But that's alright. We're gonna have fun. Hit my music. This is still Uncommon Deeds. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Another episode on deck for you here. And we changed it up this week for a couple different reasons. First of all, still no Justin. He is out for this episode, should be back on next week's episode. And I feel for him. That guy busted his behind for about 10 straight days hammering out on uh, getting ready for Devil's Bowl's two-day two big show, only to have it rained out. And I don't know many people that work harder than that guy who put in the time and the effort to put on a great show like he does. And he could probably never be fairly compensated for the work that he does. And he would never say that. But um, uh, hmm. looking, looking around, listening. He's not here, so I'm gonna say it. That guy's a rock star, and he's getting the week off. But that's okay. We move on and we move forward. Hope you guys had a great weekend. The Corbett clan headed out to a monster truck show this weekend. It was uh, me, the three babies, my dad. So it was uh, three Tom Corbett's walk into a monster truck show. Send us the rest of the joke on our uh, on our social media pages. Three Tom Corbett's walk into a monster truck show. But it was me, my dad, my three babies, and my niece and nephew, Finley and Kem. And uh, my son, both my sons really, just absolutely love monster trucks. So they were very excited. We didn't tell them till the day of. This was just on Sunday. Went down to Barton for the show. We didn't tell them till the day of. Just make sure nothing went haywire where we couldn't end up going. We didn't want to get them too excited. But they're excited. We're going. We're there. You look on the floor, and to preface this, I'm going to vent a little bit, and I'm going to talk this out. My lovely, beautiful wife would happily tell you that I can be frustratingly cheap. You know what? I don't like that. Frugal. I'm going to say frugal. I can be frustratingly frugal at times. But anyway, you see the flyer. And it's like first hundred adults to order tickets, sixteen fifty. And I we weren't part of the first hundred. We weren't remotely, so I didn't bother. I was waiting till I would be at tickets while I get there. But I'm thinking, okay, sixteen fifty. We're not one of the first hundred, so it'll probably be whatever, twenty five, thirty bucks. Small tiny children, 
Shouldn't be too bad. We did have a voucher for one free child ticket. Get there. $50 for an adult to get into the show. To fast forward, a show that lasted two hours. That's all it was, was two hours. And there was a half hour halftime in the middle. So it was really an hour and a half. But that's neither here nor there. And kids, $20. That's right. $20 for a three-year-old. But, deep breath, under three was free. So I got one free ticket there. Though it said in, like, parentheses, unless they need their own seat, then you have to pay for them. Needless to say, as far as they're concerned, my almost three-year-old did not need his own seat. But then we had the voucher, so it wasn't too bad. Whatever, 70 bucks, the four of us get in. And on the flyer, buy your ticket, free pit party, starting two hours before the show. Free pit party underneath monster truck rides, bouncy house or bouncy slide, whatever. Meet the driver, so on and so forth. So I tell the kids, you are going to get to ride in a monster truck and they are going nuts. And it's just joyous as a dad to see how excited they are. Then as you start to get to the front of the line for said monster truck rides, you quickly realize this is full carnival, circus. It's, they're going to get you money. You get there and you realize everything, everything costs money and a lot of money. See a sign, tickets, blah, blah, blah. Monster truck ride, three tickets. Okay. Then you see underneath, tickets are $7 a piece. Like, okay. And in my, not, in my mind, I know the real answer. But there's a little colonel that's thinking, hey, maybe it's just three tickets in your group gets to go on the monster truck ride. No. Tom knew the truth. It is three tickets per person, seven bucks a ticket. So once again, for a two-minute monster truck ride, $21 a person, four of us, $84 for a two-minute monster truck ride. And I have already told the kids... So they got me. They got me there. There was no going back. They were excited. They were in line. There's no going back. And my wife, I'm texting her, letting her know afterwards what it was. And she's like, hey, look at their faces. See how much they enjoy it. That's the key. Totally worth it. And I agree. It was totally worth it. Kids loved it. No complaints. I would do it again. But I'm just venting to you, my friends. Frugal Tom is venting about just feeling like getting shysted. Free pit party with all these things 
but it actually costs money to do all the things. You want to go down the bouncy slide? That's one ticket. That's $7 a child. You want your kid to get their face painted? They had face paintings. Super cool. $14 a child. Needed two tickets for that. You want some popcorn? They had popcorn. $10. Frugal Tom was losing it. And you know, the one thing that really grinded, grinded my gears, if you will, they had vendors walking through the stands, which is fine. Go to a professional sporting game. That's what they have. And you know, going to a monster truck show, they're going to have monster truck toys. And the kids are going to want them. They're going to want the shirts, hats, whatever. The monster truck show toys. No. They have vendors walking through with random toys. Minecraft swords. You know how hard I had to work for my daughter to not see the unicorn lightsaber they were peddling walking in front of us. And we had good seats. We got there nice and early. And that son of a, you know what, was walking through, saw my group of children sitting there and stopped right in front of us and started waving toys. Oh, boy. You know what you're doing. And I almost lost it. I made a very aggressive gesture for him to move along. And thankfully, my kids were great. They didn't beg for any toys, anything like that. We brought some snacks, thankfully, in the backpack. Because of the, well, didn't know, but found out, outrageous prices. You want a Gatorade? Just a regular Gatorade? $5. Whew. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. The Adventures of Frugal Tom. But we had a great time. Kids had a great time. It was very emotional when you can see your kids just absolutely enthralled and excited for what they're seeing. So totally worth it. But definitely could have been advertised a different way to not piss off so many people, especially when you know they're bringing kids and they're going to tell them these things are here and then you just... Just stick it to them. (sighs) That being said, onward to today's episode. And this one is a little bit different because Justin wasn't here this week. It gave us an opportunity to go a little bit different. Now, mainly so far through 26 previous episodes, we've focused on the past, great drivers from our past, drivers from the present who have fully established their legacy, who are building on it, but the foundation is there. They're already in the upper echelon. But this week gave us a chance to try something a little different. As we look towards up-and-coming drivers building towards that future. 
building towards trying to build that legacy. And we've talked about talking to younger drivers before this, Justin and I, but part of the struggle is that they don't have this wealth of results and history for us to draw on to make an entire episode. So we said some of these would be great to do in pairs, but for the most part, we've tried to avoid recording multiple people at once over zoom with the exception of what the Derek Lynch episode with Kate Lynch. That's the only one for the most part, because it's just too hard to really make it sound good and not have too many variables just in sound quality, let alone keep the conversation kind of fluid and moving through zoom with four people. But without Justin here, it gave me the opportunity to talk to two people at once and keep it moving. So that's what we decided to do this week. And we picked a couple who I knew were friends. So they'd be comfortable recording with one another with similar, but different kind of upbringings into the world of racing with Brandon Lanfear and Marcel Gravel. And I think we had a pretty good conversation and we learned some stuff and hopefully moving forward, we'll get more opportunities to do recordings with more than one person at a time. And we've talked about it with you guys about doing rival episodes and all of our pair ideas were kind of based on us being able to get out and record in person, which hopefully we're going to have more opportunity to do that come the fall. So there's a lot more pairs that we'd like to talk to. Maybe it is a, you know, Stacy and Tyler Cahoon or the Donahues or our rival episodes that we have ideas for with, you know, Nick Sweet and Derek O'Donnell in the same episode or Bobby Dragon and Dave Dion, so on and so forth. But this is our first crack at up and coming racers. Let us know what you think about this episode when you're done listening to it and maybe give us some suggestions on some of the up and coming drivers that you'd like to hear from. We always want to hear from you. So please reach out afterwards and let us know what you thought. Today's podcast is brought to you by Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering. All the logos for Uncommon Deeds, that was Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Those sweet, sweet, sweet decals we've sent out to our listeners. Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Established in 2005, they do logo design, consultations, office, truck, motorsports, you name it, they can do it. They had over 30 teams using their stuff this season. They're open by appointment in Williamstown. You can give them a call, 802-249-3763. and send them an email, jpmassetti at gmail.com. You can find them on Facebook at Paul Massetti. That's Massetti, M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I. 
Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering Designed to Win. Without further ado, it is now time for Justin to make today's introduction. Son of a... That's right, God. All right, I'll do it. We have two guests this week on Uncommon Deeds. One was a basketball player at People's Academy who probably never defeated the Hazen Union Wildcats. The other was a state champion soccer player who, of him being honest, probably had his fair share of beating the Hazen Union Wildcats. Uh, we have Marcel Gravel and Brandon Lanfear. Guys, thanks for coming on Uncommon Deeds. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Now, <laughs> we talk right over each other right there. <laughs> eh, we'll find the rhythm. Uh, we kind of usually start this out at the beginning, and with both of you, you have very similar kind of stories in the fact that this is all family-driven. I know Marcel, obviously your dad, your uncle, who raced with Justin back in the, the 90s, 2000s, around that time. And Brandon, obviously a uh, laundry list of family members on your side. Let's start with Marcel. When do you remember really motorsports coming into your life? Uh, I pretty much don't remember my life without it, I think would be the the simpler answer there. Um, Dad's been doing it ever since, you know, my earliest memories of life, he's had some kind of a race car, whether it was probably, probably, I guess the earliest one would be his Tiger days. I remember his red and yellow cars and everything like that. And I was probably five or six going down there and going to the racetrack. And before that, they didn't really let me go. So probably when I was five or six years old is probably the earliest I remember dad racing. Brandon. Yeah. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, probably about the same thing. You know, um, I think I was six years old when my dad won the milk bowl. So that was, you know, kind of the first real big thing I remember. Um, but yeah, just always, you know, he was racing long before I was born and, and just kind of one of those things where grew up, that's what we grew up doing, you know, was, was racing. So, now, Marcel, I know you started pretty young with carts, right? Yeah, yeah. I started racing go-karts at Thunder Road when I was seven. We got the go-kart at six, and my mom, I don't think, was quite uh, quite down with that yet. My dad had to take a year to talk her into it, I think. So uh, we started racing when I was seven, yeah. And Brandon, you were more of the late bloomer in terms of getting behind a wheel. Yeah, I let Marcel do all the dirty work and get the stock <laughs> figured out. And uh, I think it was 2016, so I was 21 at that time. Uh, that was the first time. Well, I'd race, actually, funny story, another gravel race car was uh, Marcel's uncle Richard. Um, let me run his car over to Groveton. Uh, Must have been in 2015, so the year before, whatever. Um, and then uh, I ended up buying Marcel's either that fall or you know, whenever it was. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, late bloomer, I guess. Now, were you obviously, and it's funny because with your dad, there's, there's quite a legend there. And maybe some of the, the extracurriculars or, you know, the is it true, is it not true stories kind of outweigh the fact that, 
he kicked a lot of ass for a lot of years. And, you know, people want to point to some funny incidents here or there that happen. It seemed like, though, it wasn't necessarily in your path. And you're a much more, you know, subdued personality. You know, when I started calling races, Ken Squire told me, if you can interview Dwayne Lanfear and still run it on the air, it's guaranteed to be good. (laughs) And you kind of come in and you're quiet. Were you always kind of had this in the back of your mind that you might want to try it? Or are you looking around and seeing, you know, your cousins racing, uh, your friend Marcel racing everybody and said, screw it. Why not try it? I don't think it ever, you know, really crossed my mind to, to, to get into a race car until, you know, I don't know, maybe sometime during high school or whatever. Um, you know, I was always going to the racetrack and um, I started helping Richard gravel um, on his street stock. And then, uh, and I did that for probably a couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where just being at the racetrack is, is, that's what I look forward to during the summer. You know, I mean, that's a lot of everyone that goes there probably feels the same way. Um, yeah. And then, so, I mean, I guess if you're around it enough, you kind of get that itch to, to want to drive. And, you know, I've been driving tractors, trucks, and, you know, whatever else my whole life. So it's kind of just, you know, another one of those things, but, um, so yeah, I mean, I never, as a kid growing up, I never really envisioned it. Um, but I'm definitely glad I did, you know, one of those things where, uh, if I could go back, I would definitely try and start a little sooner, but still been been a good ride so far. And I'm I'm curious, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, is Dwayne the dad a similar personality as Dwayne the race car driver? Uh yeah, I'd say probably. Um you know, growing up on the farm, you know, it's one of those things where working with family or whatever it is, you know, it has its days and, um, I'm currently not working there anymore. So I guess, uh, you know, you can imply what you'd like. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, it's one of those things where, you know, it has, it has its days good and bad, but, um, yeah, you know, one of these times, one of these days I'll definitely be back, you know, maybe not on that farm or wherever, but I'll be, you know, one of those things where once a farmer, always a farmer. So, and Marcel, your dad, obviously, if our listener from Massachusetts is tuning in, might not have heard of your dad's racing career, but a grinder. And it's similar, not quite the same reputation as Dwayne, but I remember like one of the first times I met him, like within five minutes, he was just giving me shit. And I'm like, okay, I can I can get down down with this group. But yeah. seems like always going to be one of the hardest workers in the room. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things where I'm extremely fortunate in my racing is to have him. Um, when he was racing, I mean, he had his dad and his uncle and pretty much that's the only crew I remember my dad really having. Um, most of my dad's years were headed in there on an open trailer with a car that he got up at four o'clock every morning to go work on. And like you said, I mean, just a grinder, the guy just, his work ethic is out outrageous, honestly. And, uh, everything he got, he earned. I mean, the first late model win he got, we pulled it in there on an open trailer, 
And I remember it like this was yesterday because he, he got way out there and uh, Jamie Fisher started reeling him in. I was like, no, come on. We got to hold on for this one. We need this one, you know? And uh, he got that one. And then it was just outstanding to see there, you know, how the winner from the late models gets that first parking spot. And you look down through there and it's all these enclosed trailers and five, six, seven crew guys. And then right there in that winter spots, dad with his open trailer and just him and his dad and his uncle. And then they go back to back. So, I mean, he just was always a grinder and he refuses to lose. He, he is still that way today. He's probably worse now, you know, with my racing, he's just outrageous. The amount of work that he's willing to do to make these things go fast. And I'm going to jump around a little bit to more recently because you say that, and I felt like, so a couple weeks ago, you wreck in practice, looks like you're done midseason championship. And yep. Scott Coburn steps up to let you run his car. And I'm going to get to Scott here in a second. But one part of it, and you have this great run, was like an outpouring of people saying, God, fucking Marcel's dad can set up a car in fucking an hour, like giving him an amazing amount of credit for that run. Yeah, no, I mean, I've done it before too. Uh, one other time I blew a motor at Speedway 51 when I was running there. I don't, I think it's five race series and we blew a motor and Terry reeled before he was even off the racetrack. He was like, Hey, go tell Marcel's dad, he can run my car. And dad's right over there, you know, doing whatever we had to do to, give ourselves the best opportunity to run good. When I jump in those other cars, I've had the opportunity a couple of times now. I mean, always unfortunate circumstances, but my dad always makes it very clear to me that we're not going out there just to get a couple points. We're going out there to get everything we can get because he has a lot of faith that I'm not going to do anything stupid and that he's going to give me a good enough car to do it. And he goes to work. I mean, he changed everything that day, I think on Terry Reel's car and we had to add 150 pounds of lead to it and, he just was wanting to make sure, you know, if we ran good, that we were going to be right when we got through the tech area. And it was no different with Scott's car. You know, as soon as Scott said that we could go, dad was racking his brain. I took it out for practice and we made some adjustments and he got that thing pretty good for me. So he, uh, he's definitely just getting smarter and smarter too, which is obviously good for me. And I saw you speak up about it. I thought it was a very cool thing for you to do is the fact that, yes, a lot of people are giving your dad a lot of credit, but there was a lot of unnecessary negative comments that came out of that towards Scott, who stepped up out of nowhere and said, boom, take this new car, whatever you need, we're here for you. And yeah. there's so many different circumstances as to why maybe Scott was struggling a bit, why you guys were able to get it a little faster. But to see you kind of step up and say, you guys – really don't know what you're talking about and try to take some of that negativity away. I thought it was a cool thing to do. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I mean, especially now I'm sure Brandon can attest to it now that he's over there, but the late models, it's just, it's a cutthroat business, you know, like there, <laughs> there's very few times that you'll catch most of us mingling with very many people, which is unfortunate, but it's just kind of turned into that. And I'm, I'm confident in saying there's not another person down there that would have let me do that. And I just don't know why anybody would want to bring him down over it. You know, I don't, I don't care where Scott Coburn runs in that race car. If Scott Coburn was running up front all year, if he was running in the back, struggling with it, it doesn't matter to me. You know, he took a, I mean, that race car is like a year old, you know, 
and I could have went out there and I could have totaled it. I mean, if we're being honest, it's racing, you know, and I could have, and it could have been not, you know, not my fault. And it could have been my fault. And I mean, I didn't give Scott any money, like nothing. I don't even really have a relationship with Scott Coburn. If I'm being honest, like before the other night, like, so, I mean, it was just a spectacular thing that he did. And then to have people say negative stuff about it was obviously unfortunate. Brandon, you start out and you end up in Marcel's car. And I'm not sure this will be after, obviously we were, Justin and I were joking that this is the first week where he's got to figure out how to put two people on our posters for upcoming guests. And we're going over ideas. And I mentioned, what if we just do a silhouette of one of their street stock cars? Cause technically it's both of them <laughs> and be like, Hey, you got two cracks at it. One car, two drivers. What was your learning curve to when, okay, you said, I'm going to do this and you're going to go every week? Oh, man. I mean, I feel like I'm still learning every time I get in a race car. So it's a pretty big curve, I guess. Um, You know, luckily buying Marcel's car, you know, we started out on the right foot. um, Just being able to have that, you know, raw speed. um, So that obviously helps. And you know, so street stocks are street stocks and, you know, it's, it's a good entry level division. Um, but it's a different story when you step up into the tigers or late models. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a little more competitive. Um, just there's a little more, a little bit more to it, I guess. Um, so yeah, I mean, but still, as far as learning goes, I, mean, I feel like if you don't learn something and whether it's a small minute thing or, you know, whatever it is, if you're not learning something every time, then, um, you know, maybe you should stop doing it. I don't know. Maybe Jason Corliss doesn't learn anything anymore, but, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's always, it's always fun getting into a car and, you know, trying to figure, you know, some small little thing out, whatever it may be. And you have that moment where you Riley Payton sweep the top three. And I don't think anyone necessarily saw that coming. No offense to anybody involved, but, uh, was that a cool moment for you when you all three of you guys are down there and you kind of look around like, holy shit? Yeah, I mean, I don't know very many people. I mean, yeah, you know, racing, you know, there's a lot of family members that race with each other. I mean, to have three all end up on the podium, you know, it's, I mean, it's pretty unheard of, I think. You know, it's definitely something I'll never forget. You know, we um, definitely didn't plan that. It was, uh, it was quite the quite the ordeal, definitely. And are you guys like a close knit family, like with your I cousins, mean, yeah. with your uncle? As I go down to Mark's shop, you know, I would say at least you know maybe once a month or something, you know, just whether getting a oil change or something else, and you know, we usually end up being there for multiple hours, just you know, talking with Mark and you know, looking at the cars and whatnot. Um, so it's. I wouldn't say we're a close knit family, but definitely, uh, you know, we stay, we're definitely keeping up with uh, what's going on in each other's lives. Now we've talked on this show a few times about kind of the ladder system and you two are interesting. The fact that you did go about it in different ways. And I think I remember talking to you one time at one point, Marcel, where you said, you thought it would be easier to go street stocks to late models 
than trying to figure out the tiger in the middle. You still believe that? Uh, I mean, yes and no, only because I've, I've watched the tiger guys and it's like, it seems like you can really like a driver can make a difference in one of those. Like, and I, I mean, obviously Brandon is going to be able to speak on this better than me, I guess, but it seems like the drivers in those things can really make a difference because you can really pitch them around and hustle the race car. And it seems like it can really, you know, gain you a 10th or two tenths. I mean, you look around at who's good in the tigers right now and it's those older guys that know what those things need. I mean, there are young guys that are good too, you know, but it always is like, like Mike Martin, for instance, I mean, he finished second last night with a probably sixth place race car, but he's Mike Martin. He's got a ton of laps around there. So for me, I, I looked at it as, and at the time the tigers weren't really flourishing by any means. I think it was when they were putting those big right front tires on, they were doing what, you know, they thought they needed to do to help them. And yeah, they were doing like the segment did. racing because they only had, you know, six, seven cars every week. Right. So, I mean, it, it wasn't a division that was looking super appetizing, you know, and with my dad already having a late model and I mean, I was able to buy a chassis and we took a lot of his bolt on stuff and put it on there and it just made the more sense financially. And like I said, when you were looking at the tiger division, it wasn't really looking that bright at the time. And Brandon, your dad is obviously, you know, a Tiger legend. And you end up ironically stepping into the Tigers racing with your dad, which I don't think anybody necessarily saw coming. But it's funny because Marcel mentioned kind of the older drivers that kind of dominated that Tiger division. And all of a sudden you're in there and you're in the mix. You're competing with and you're beating. You know, you're going with Brendan Moody and your dad. And, you know, Joey LeCare owned a Tiger at one point. And Joel Hodgton is running every week. That's that's the who's who's list of Tigers by the time you get there. Yeah, I guess uh, some bad timing on my part. Um, it was good timing to you, I guess, because, I mean, it's they're only going to make you better by racing with, with those kind of guys, you know. Um, obviously there's, there's a lot to learn, you know, just from following around in practice or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but like Marcel said, I think I kind of, I can see how, you know, people might think, you know, going from a street stock to a late model might be the best option because I mean, just from having driven the tigers for three years and then going to a late model now, I mean, it's like flicking a light switch on and off. I mean, it's just, it's night and day difference on how you, need to drive those two different cars um so i mean you can definitely learn what not to do you know with the late model by driving a tiger but i mean i don't regret i don't regret you know doing that for for three years just because i mean seat time getting laps around the track you know it all it all adds up in the end outside of maybe your dad who kind of took you under the learning tree when it came to tigers because it's not like street stocks where you get a car from Marcel and you can always ask him like, Hey, this car's not doing this. How do I get it to do that? I mean, really when we, when we started racing tires, me and my father, um, you know, we got a lot of help from his brother, Mark, really. Um, just as far as setup wise, I mean, my biggest helper division was by far my grandfather. I mean, he, he set that thing every week. I mean, and 
hell sometimes two or three times a week just because he'd he'd sleep on something and and the next morning you know we're out there in the shop you know chain springs or whatever it may be um you know i think it was it was cool to see that just because i mean you know he that's who helped my father and mark you know throughout the years so it's kind of like rekindling the old flame for him you know being able to do it again and um i think he really enjoyed it uh definitely you know with a late model now having my own team and stuff you know it's it's a lot different um so i definitely you know miss those those days of of going there with him and you know he, he did a hell of a job you know he got that car going pretty fast so it was pretty cool to see and that's an interesting point because when my uncle was racing and I was there with him in 2000s, 90s, whatever it was. And ironically, he, I was not a Marcel Gravel fan because when we left Thunder Road and I had to go He's to White like and him. went to White Mountain, your dad was the first one that took the number five. And I was like, F that guy. How <laughs> dare he? I met him now. And I love him, but, you know, previously. But the point I was trying to get to is. At that time, when you're running, you look down and it's all almost entirely, you know, family teams. All guys racing their own equipment that they're paying for and all that. And you had the outliers, maybe you're Richard Green and a few of these here and there. But now, Marcel, you guys are almost the minority in the fact that you own and run all your own stuff. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's it's fading, you know, like people who do it that way. And I mean there's there's nothing wrong with people that, you know, do it either way, honestly. I mean, if you have the money to either, you know, rent a ride from somebody or if somebody just, you know, you're like Brandon, like that's a perfect opportunity for Brandon, you know, with Richard Green and everything. I don't know a guy down there, me and Brandon's age that doesn't sit there and wish that they either got to race for uh Rick Pay. Richard Green, um, I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's more owners that I'm missing, you know, but those two are the ones that come to mind. I know as soon as I got into a late model, uh, I hoped someday that I would drive the 37 car or the 16 car. So I can only imagine how it feels for Brandon to be that guy. Um, but I'm, I enjoy doing it with, you know, my dad and my, you know, random crew guys. Some, some of them I didn't hardly know when they started helping me and now they're just like a part of the family. So it's definitely, you know, far and in between with people doing it that way. Um, but uh, we're having a good time doing it. It's a little bit harder at times for sure, but uh, you just got to stay after it if you want it bad enough, you know, and just keep working. And you've, you've had some characters who help you, who have helped you out. Shout outs to Drew. He is. <laughs> I still have some characters that help yep. me out. Um but, you know, at the end of the day, it's they're all knuckleheads, you know, no doubt. I'd say that to them if they were right here right now. But um, they do anything for me, no different than Drew at the time. And any of those guys, would, I'm confident, would jump right in front of a bus for me. So I'm very appreciative of all of them. And uh, sometimes I want to wring their necks, no doubt. But um, they're all there helping me do what I love to do. So it's hard to fault them for that. Yeah, absolutely. And. You did, though you did get to step into one legend's car and you, you drove Joey LeCare's white 15. So you at least got yeah. that one on the resume. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool for me. No doubt. Um, that was a good opportunity for myself. I really enjoyed doing that. I wish you could have made more of it. 
but you know, sometimes you're the bug and sometimes you're the windshield. And that day we were the bug for every time we went on the racetrack. So Marcel, the time comes, when do you start getting the idea? Is it more you or is your dad telling you, okay, let's get you in the late model and start tinkering with this? Cause I know you started making some trips to at that time, Groveton Speedway 51. Yeah, um, we were just trying to look ahead at what we were going to do a lot earlier. Like, we didn't want to wait till the Melt Bowl and not know, like, hey, what are we going to do next year? So I kind of forced the issue a little bit with the late model stuff, I think. My dad wasn't opposed to it, but, you know, he was like, hey, you know, this is going to cost a lot of money. And, um, you know, you got to go out there and get some sponsors and everything like that. So I put together a whole different packet than our street stock stuff. And uh, I was able to get some money to go run it. And I said, hey, I think I have enough money to run it, you know, three or four times, maybe five. And I really wanted to do that because I had a ton of respect for uh, Tom Curley. And I knew if I was going to go race a late mile at his racetrack that I was not going to try to make an ass of myself or him. And I wasn't going to go there if I wasn't ready. And that was just how it was. So we decided, you know, we'll run Thunder Road with uh, the street stock because we were right there in the midst of the championship stuff. And we'll run as many late mile races as we can afford to run. So it was definitely more me like being like, Hey dad, like if we're going to go late mile racing next year, like we got to run a couple races this year. And he agreed obviously, but um, I think I was definitely pushing him like, Hey, come on, let me do it. You know? And to fast forward a little bit so we can get back to Brandon, you end up at one point, Marcel, you've got two cars and similar to kind of, you mentioned it with Scott. There's nobody in the garage that would step up and give you their car. You put Brandon in, you know, your backup car that's ready to go and let him go out and race. Yeah. I mean, me and Brandon, maybe in high school, we weren't that close in high school. I think we didn't know how similar we probably were. And once he started helping my uncle, um, our friendship, you know, started to grow too. I saw him a lot more. And obviously, once your friends are racing in a different division than you, you get to pay attention to them. And I mean, Brandon obviously is a phenomenal Tiger driver. I mean, he's a he's a great race car driver all around. But at the time, all he was was doing the Tiger stuff. And uh, he went to Richmond with me, spotted for me. So any guy you trust to spot for you at 140 miles an hour, you can probably trust to race your late model at Thunder Road. And um, it just made sense. You know, we thought that it could help him, you know, and I, I'm I don't know if it helped him get the 16 ride or not, but I know that I was in the same Conti race as in one time working my ass off to try to pass my own race car. So um, he was the right guy for the job and happy to have him do it. The car was already there and it was fun for all of us. Brandon, what were you thinking when this opportunity came up? I mean, honestly, I didn't really know why the hell they asked me, uh, but it was one of those things. I don't know if it must've been a double feature or, for whatever reason, yeah. they, had, they had brought both cars. Um, and I think, you know, it must be the week before or something like that. They had talked about it. And um, I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say no to that. Um, it's a pretty good opportunity. Um, but I mean, yeah, it was just one of those things where I do know running double duty, you know, I did it in the street stock in my tiger and it's, it makes for a long night. Um pretty sure I lost like 10 or 12 pounds the night I ran Marcel's late model. Cause I was also running the tiger and I don't know if anybody's seen me, but I can't afford to lose 10 or 12 pounds. Um, 
I know I sweat my ass off though doing it. Um, I'm glad I did it. It was a really good opportunity. I mean, you know, for, for what it was, I mean, I think, I think big Marcel set the air pressures and set the sway bar and freaking set me on my way. And now we went, um, it just, well, it was, it was a really cool thing. I mean, I, if, if you're looking for a picture to use, I guess you might want to use that one. Of, it's going to be one of us on the track together at the same time. But I think I remember I might have still been doing in-car cameras for Marcel at the time, and you looked real good in qualifying, and Marcel did not look quite as good. And I saw him after. I'm like, man, that red car looks good. And Marcel just looked at me and goes, yeah, we're getting ready to fucking switch soon. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember running the concy and my crew guy Drew was spotting for Brandon and I mean race car drivers' memories are ridiculous, I guess, but I can remember Brandon was on the bottom, Trevor Lyman was behind him, and I was trying to pass Trevor and I was like, Come on, Brandon, look up. Look at just a just a little touch on the brake. That's all I need. I just need to get Trevor and I can make it. We can both make it and go on with our nights. And I was having to drive my ass off. And Brandon's just out there doing his thing, driving that red car. And I'm like, man, I picked the wrong one to let him drive, I guess. I was just looking out my windshield because I think if I looked at any mirror, I might have uh, might have ended up in the infield that night. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was best for me to just keep looking forward. Now, Brandon, you settle in and you have some real good runs in the Tigers and, you know, some high points finishes. You start getting those wins at any point, are you starting to think about maybe that next step? Or is it all, you know what? I could be one of these Tiger guys that's here for 15 years and wins three championships and be up there on the all-time wins list, and that'd be okay too. I I mean, I really would have, would be fine if I was still – you know, racing a tire car this year, you know, I, I just, I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and I always kind of joke, like, you know, people obviously ask me like, Oh, when are you, you know, when are you getting a late model or when, when this, and I was like, well, as soon as someone, you know, offers me a ride, I guess jokingly. And then, uh, but one of those things where, you know, I never really gave it too much thought about, about moving up or whatever, you know, like, I don't know, just kind of one year at a time for me. And, try and do you know the best I could every year. And, you know, I definitely was hoping to win a championship on uh, the tire division. Um, ended up, you know, getting a triple crown championship last year, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, I do remember though, a conversation, I don't know if it was when we went to Richmond, Marcel, but uh, your father said, if I win a championship in the tire division, I have to quit racing you guys. So maybe it's a thing that I didn't end up winning that championship because Oh, then I went where I am now, but I thought yeah. I think that's how that went. I remember that too because dad at Richmond, Brandon was an animal crew member, wicked crew guy. And dad told me in the trailer, he's like, Yeah, get Brandon to quit racing. He's like, He can just come help us all the time. While the Tiger runs going on, and Brandon, your dad's running with you for a little while before, you know, he kind of went off into the distance upset or whatever the case may be. You can go back and listen to his episode that was on a couple months ago, which one of our most popular episodes, you would think, you know, entertaining guy, but like he's above some names in terms of downloads that you wouldn't expect. 
and uh, he told some some great stories. But uh, are is he, you know, mentoring you or talking at all about maybe getting you to a next level or anything like that, or is it just kind of a different relationship than say like a Marcel and his dad? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely different. Um, but as far as like the whole moving up thing, I mean, we never, I don't think we ever really even had a conversation about it. You know, I mean, we're, I would say content, you know, running tire car. I mean, you know, when you're running well and whatnot, you know, it's kind of easy to just keep on trucking, but, um, no, I don't think we ever, we ever really talked about it. Um, you know, obviously other people are, you know, asking me or, you know, whoever else, you know, when we're going to move up or whatever. And I guess that's just an expectation nowadays for, you know, you're only allowed to run so many years in this division and then you got to move up and, or whatever the case may be. But. And probably with your last name comes extra expectations of, Oh, his dad moved up and his dad did this and, yeah, I mean, I don't know. To me, there's no expectations. Um, like I said, I'll let other people, you know, think what they want or or whatever. You know, that's that's part of it. Um, but like I said, for me, I was I was content, you know, doing what I was doing, having fun doing it, and uh, you know, I was just gonna let the cards fall where they where they did. You know, we mentioned your dad's episode, and I don't think I ever thanked you for setting it up so he could get on a Zoom call. We appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no problem. Looking at you finish out the Tiger year last year. At what point does the Richard Green ride start coming coming together? Towards the end of the season, I I ran the Melville um, end of last year, and for whatever reason, I don't remember. It was after Championship Night or whatever. I I in my head I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'll just you know try and find a ride, you know, and my first thought was, I know my uncle Mark had a spare late model. So I was thinking about maybe, you know, figuring out how I could rent that or whatever, just for, you know, just to do the milk, try and try and qualify for the milk bowl, you know, whatever the case was. Um, so yeah, I started looking into that. Um, and I ended up Pat Malone had bought, um, I think it was Josh Demers' car. And so I ended up, ended up using that car, um, with the help of Nick Sweet, you know, we went through it all. It needed some, needed a few things, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, that was just kind of one of those things where I want to do the milk bowl. And then, you know, I didn't really have any plans for, for this year. Um, I'd actually had my tire car stripped down. I was going to bring it um, to Chip because that's who built it. And I was going to have him, you know, just go through it, make sure everything was, was good with it. Just because it's, you know, it's an older car. It, you know, had a few races on it and, that damn wall, you know, had taken a little bit of a toll on it uh, a few times. So I was going to, that was my plan this winter was to, was to do that. And so I had my, my tire car stripped out, no body motor transmission, you know, nothing's in it. Um, just a roller. And then, uh, yeah, Joe Becker got a hold of me and, you know, was asking me questions, you know, fishing around, asking me what I was doing this year. And, um, well, I told him, you know, what the deal was and kind of just went from there, you know. Um, one of those things where if somebody asks you if you're interested in, you know, running running their car, you know, it's definitely a dream come true. You know, not that I ever really expected it or, or you know, I don't know. Just 
a very cool opportunity. And it's, and we talked to Richard Green uh, a few weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that one also, cheap plug. Uh, and it seemed like they were fully on board and are supportive with the fact that it is, like we mentioned, a learning curve for you. You're hopping in a car that's, you know, won a couple track championships and is in contention every week, but you clearly don't have the same experience as Scott Dragon. And it seems like they're really supportive with the fact that you're probably not going to get the results in year one that Scott Dragon is. Yeah, it's it's very cool to see them, you know, not necessarily lower their bar, but, you know, just just to be realistic about it, you know, I mean, like, I mean, not almost every week Joe says, you know, first, you know, you know, we don't care. They just, as long as we learn something from that, that night or whatever it is, um, you know, ideally bring the car home in one piece, you know, hell, I don't mind fucking touching up a couple of, you know, rubber marks or fixing some stickers, you know, if that's what we got to do for body work, then that's small win for us. You know, you know, he wants to go have to rebuild their, their shit every week. So Amen. definitely, <laughs> definitely nice to, uh, to have them, you know, on board with, with just trying to learn. And, you know, I think it's probably nice for them to have a little different, you know, night at the track, you know, they're kind of, kind of learning too, I'm guessing, you know, just every, every race car driver is different. I mean, anybody could hop into any car and they might want something different in it. So it's, it's both sides. We're both learning and we're both, we're all, you know, we're having fun doing it. So that's what, that's what matters. Coming into the season, what were your realistic goals you set for yourself? And maybe that goal you placed a little bit higher, but you still wanted it there for something to shoot for. The thing I really wanted to do was, um, win rookie of the year definitely um i thought that was a pretty achievable goal you know i feel like just having the the team behind me and the experience that they had um i thought that was pretty achievable definitely um you know it's 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 crazy how much you know more consistent you have to be in these cars every single not even every week but every lap i mean it's just it's completely different than than running a tire car um, so, you know, I, I, I would have liked to finish in the top 10 in points, you know, judging by where we are now. Um, and definitely that one that I set up, you know, a lot higher was, was, was to hopefully get a win this year. Um, you know, it's, we're a little over halfway through the season. So I would say we're getting better every week. You know, we're trying to find a little more speed. Um, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility to get one, but like I said, that one's probably up there a little bit higher of, you know, a goal of ours. Well, if you could just, like, cut down the trailer tires on Jason Corliss's, you know, truck. <laughs> Have a better chance. Before yeah. he gets there, you know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, Marcel, I want to talk to you about expectations. Because similar kind of how he said about your dad being a grinder, I, I know from personal experience you're a driven person. And that your rookie year, you had a lot of really good runs, came up a little short for rookie of the year with Chris Pelkey, 
But I remember talking to you after that first year, and you said, I got the rookie year done. Now I expect to compete and win. And you weren't settling for anything else. And I know that probably rubs some people the wrong way. When you're like, no, I know that I belong now. Here I am. I'm not getting out of the way. I'm not moving. And that isn't always easy for, you know, someone in their early 20s. Yeah, it definitely, every week to go to the racetrack, you know, my dad tries to make sure that I go, you know, confident, go into it confident. And um, I think that a lot of people just didn't know how to take me, you know, um, because honestly, I spent a lot of years in racing, probably the first two street stock years and maybe like a year and a half in the late models where I wasn't very confident at all in myself. And that wasn't just, you know, even at the racetrack, that was just in life in general. I was going through a lot of changes, you know, in just my personality and nobody really knew how to take me. So I think that I came off the wrong way to a lot of people. Um, But every time that I go to that racetrack, I expect to be, you know, up there contending for the win and anything less is just not good enough. Um, we put too much time, too much money, too much everything. I mean, it's, it's our whole life and not just ours, you know, everybody that's down there, but, and that's just the attitude that my dad has driven into me. You know, we could be, I mean, we've done it. We've been up P1 before by a 10th and a half on the field. And my dad is grilling me for what we're going to do to that thing because we can be better, you know? So I think my attitude, my second year, you know, people just didn't know how to take it. I was just, I was just trying to be confident. I wasn't trying to come off as a cocky person. And a lot of people, you know, took it that way, unfortunately, but a lot of people just didn't want to give me a chance anyway. You know, they, they had already decided that they knew me without even knowing me. So, um, that kind of hindered me. And honestly, I think it still does today. And there was a stretch in that early part of your career with the late models where I wanted to call you the Mater D because you were serving up some wins to other people. As you were, you were out front, you would lose something, something would break and you could tell it was starting to wear on you because you knew that you should have, you know, one or two wins but you yeah. stick with it. Tell me about that first t- that first win. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, you know, one night we were leading and Nick Sweet's running second and Scott Dragon's running third and we got a straightaway on them. Sure, they came from a lot deeper than us, but, you know, I had put a pretty good gap on them. And I remember thinking to myself with like 10 to go, I was like, boy, this is going to be a hell of a victory lane picture if I can hang on and win this one with those two behind me, you know. But, um like you said, honestly, I, and I told a lot of people that night, the first win was just such a relief, you know, like, honestly, I probably didn't even get to enjoy it as much because I was just so relieved that it finally happened. I felt like at that point we should have absolutely no doubt have already had it and, um, probably had a couple more, honestly, because we just, we were putting ourselves in the right position and it was really starting to wear on me because I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong to cost us these races. And, my dad wasn't doing anything wrong. You know, it just wasn't our night to win them. And definitely that, that, that first one, man, there's nothing quite like it. I don't think I've ever felt that way before. Um, 
and it was it was pretty special but just a huge amount of relief only because like you said it just took longer than it needed to brandon what do you remember about your first tiger win uh the first thing that comes to my mind is me going through turn one and two after taking the checkers and fist pumping so much that i broke my rearview mirror that's, Jesus. that's the only thing i can remember really but uh so yeah i had to go to dudos that week to uh get a new one marcel so you you get the win you have a really fantastic start to last season and you're you know midway through and you're right there at the top for the track championship Mm -hmm. and second half of the year slides a little bit and you don't get the results you wanted and i know you're pissed off and you're like okay we're coming in next year ready to go. And I think you'll be the first to admit this year has been a real bark up the ass, if you will, compared to what you were hoping it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, last year it was honestly the beginning of the year was super easy for me because everybody just kept acting like it was a fluke and like another week would go by and we would be the point leader and another one. And I'm like, it kind of comes back to the fact that people just thought, think that they know me, you know, they got me pegged as some super douche, I guess. And just no one was giving us our, you know, our credit that we, we were earning. I mean, and we went out on mid season and started 10th and finished second. And I was like, if you people can't acknowledge what's going on yet, you know, I guess you never will. And I thought for sure we were going to give Corliss a really good run. I mean, you know, with him having the DQ, we were, we were realistic that we knew he was going to be there. You know, I, I, um, I figured that it was going to come down to me and him and probably Bobby T was what I was thinking, you know, before we started sliding down and I'll be the first to admit that I just plain focused car too much to end a year last year. And, um, I don't want to say I cost myself because I mean, we didn't have the runs anyway, but I definitely was just too focused on what he was doing and not what enough what I was doing. And um, like you said, this year, we, we thought for sure we would be coming out of the gate stronger. And, you know, that's why the sport is so hard. Um, it just hasn't been what we thought it would be. You know, we would have thought we would have rattled off a couple wins by now and, you know, be up there being the one going after it with Jason this year. So um, we're just trying to keep digging, you know, and right now running the backup car. And again, you know, it just comes back to the work. I'd, I'd love to win in that red car because nobody thinks that we can. So that would make it extra special and um, that could help save the season. You know, maybe we could get up there and steal. I was looking at the points. Maybe we could get up there and steal third or fourth or something like that and just best ourselves from last year, but definitely not the start we were hoping for. Now, Brandon, you obviously have a different perspective because we just talked about it. You didn't have the same goals going in. When you look and you see what like a Jason Corliss is doing this year, and has been doing. Are you watching it in awe? Is it pissing you off? What's uh, what's it like when you're like, God damn it, this guy just keeps whipping everybody? Uh, it's definitely, I mean, not really a surprise, I guess, just because of what he's done, you know, in recent history. Um, I guess probably because my expectations of what I, you know, where I think I am as far as the playing field goes, it doesn't piss me off, but I'm sure 
the majority of everyone else that's racing against him is probably fucking sick of it. But, you know, he, he's just good. That's just what it comes down to. I mean, it, he set the bar um, for what it takes to win a championship in the last, well, two years. Um, and so, I mean, you know, it's definitely – I try and learn as much as I can from, you know, if I'm around him during practice or heat race or during the feature. Um, it's – like oh okay well he just did that then i you know you try and replicate it but it just for some reason doesn't quite work as well um but definitely you know he's he's fun to watch i'm sure for everyone else maybe everyone's sick of it i don't really know but uh definitely trying to learn from him i can tell you that much i'm sure i'm gonna one thing i wanted to say only because i'm sure now brandon can attest to it is it annoying absolutely to watch him kick our asses week in and week out totally but what me and my team were talking about is it's so hard to hate Jason Corliss because he's just such a good dude. Like, he really is. He's a great guy, and he's not cocky, even though he probably definitely should be a little, I guess. And so, obviously, we're all tired of chasing him around. I mean, I won't beat around that bush. I told him that. I'm like, I'm sick of seeing you win. But it's hard to, like, be, like, against him only because he's such a good dude. Like, he's a down-to-earth guy, and He's doing it the right way right now. They're just stupid fast. But I just wanted to add that because, you know, none of us hate him because he's hard to hate. But at the same time, it's like, man, dude, I wish you'd just run 10th. He's also like he's he's not afraid. You know, if you go, I mean, I've gone up to him and asked him multiple questions throughout this whole season. You know, just sometimes you don't you don't see everything that goes on when you're in the race car. I mean. And just from racing against him, you know, I'm asking him little questions here and there from, you know, a heat race or whatever it is, you know, and, and he's not afraid to, you know, to tell me what he thinks or, you know, or whatever it may be. I mean, I'm sure it's probably different because, you know, one thing if somebody that's, you know, second in points to him or whatever it may be racing with him, you know, week in and week out, if they come up and ask him for some advice or whatever it might be, he's probably not going to, you know, be as, uh, as open-minded, you know, to, to talking with him about it, but, you know, just a, you know, a rookie or whatever it might be, he's definitely not afraid to lend a helping hand when it comes to, you know, just some small things. Yeah. And it's like you said, Marcel, he is a great guy. We've talked to him, talked to him at the track when we were doing stuff on the radio and great guy, love him. But even I, when I wake up, and I open Facebook and I see a video of him going four laps with his hood over his windshield to win $10,000. I toss my phone at the side and say, what the hell? A hundred percent. I woke up that or not woke up. I got home and it was like Jason Corliss went and I was like, all right, I'm not really that surprised. And then I saw the video and I'm like, okay, enough of this guy. And I told him that the other day I was like, dude, when you can win a race, when you can't see it's time to move up to, I don't know, NASCAR, it's time. Hey guys, let's take a break from our interview to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering. All the logos for Uncommon Deeds, that was Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Those sweet, sweet, sweet decals we've sent out to our listeners, Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Established in 2005, they do logo design, consultations, office, truck, motorsports, you name it, they can do it. They had over 30 teams using their stuff this season. They're open by appointment in Williamstown. 
you can give them a call, 802-249-3763. You can send them an email, jpmassetti at gmail.com. You can find them on Facebook at Paul Massetti. That's Massetti, M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I. Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering, designed to win. Now back to the show. As we kind of move move forward here and looking at the rest of the season, and Marcel, you kind of said, you know, let's chip away, see where we can get. Has the mindset kind of flipped for you to where it's kind of back to almost like you were that rookie year where it's you're literally only worried about the next race and you're not thinking about points anymore? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not thinking about points as much as I did last year, which is what something I told myself I wasn't going to do because that just sucks the fun right out of it. Um, but I mean, we're just going, you know, down there to win races. Like that's, that's what my dad, you know, has been trying to preach to us this year. You know, if you just go down there and win races, the rest is going to come. So, um, my mindset going to the racetrack isn't a lot different besides, you know, if I'm racing with those guys that are up there right now, I'm able to take a little bit more chances than them and, you know, know that all the pressure is on those guys and there's absolutely no pressure on myself. Um, I think when the year started, I thought there would be like we kind of touched on earlier, but, um, my mindset going to that racetrack is to go out there and be fast in practice, fast in my heat race and hope that we can win because I'm ready to break that tie with my old man on the wins list. And I want to do it before this year is over with. I actually have a question for both of you. And we've brought it up in a few episodes with people to different answers. Do you notice the difference coming back this year to full grandstands as opposed to what was it like last year? Kind of that first time you pull out on the track and you go around and it looks like a test session with nobody there. I won the first race last year of the first race of the year, and there was no one there. And during the race, I didn't really, you know, obviously think about it because you're out there leading the race. But I remember getting out, and the feeling was just not the same. You know, it was like you just won a late model race. It's like this is a huge deal. There's 20 guys in this field that wish they won tonight. And it was just a – it was totally weird, like – it didn't feel right at all. Like I was excited, you know, but literally only people there was my crew guys and they all got face masks on and they're not even down on the racetrack with me. And then this year, you know, we, uh, podiumed in the tour race. And I remember I said it to the crowd. I was like, I just want everyone to know how badass it is, you know, to have all you guys back because it really changes it, you know, whether they're up there pulling for you or they're pulling against you there's nothing quite like getting out and having somebody boo you because it's like, you're just a normal person like them. And here they are, they're hating on you, but they just paid money to come watch you race and, or vice versa, you know, when they're cheering for you, it's just, it's totally different feel than most people would think. So when they're not there, it sucked. Like it sucked. Yeah. Marcel, you know, hit the nail on the head. Um, I remember last year, a few times, you know, I don't know how many times I was out there podium, but, um, I mean, even towards the end, you know, when we went into Triple Crown, I mean, 
it just there wasn't quite the amount of people as there was has been so far this year. You know, there's been a pretty couple couple good crowds this year where it's like places packed, and I mean, you can just you feel you can feel the difference. It's 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 kind of hard to explain, but I mean, when you get out like after I won the triple crown last year, I mean, there was hell. I don't even know if there was still forty people left in the freaking place, and I was just like, you know, I was excited, but it was it was definitely you know, definitely a little different. Um, but it's, so it's been nice this year to, to have some, some people there watching. And, um, I know like a lot of, a lot of my family will watch even on flow TV. So, you know, even if they're not there, you know, they're definitely to them, it feels like they are just because, you know, there's that aspect to it. So that's been a pretty good outcome of, you know, maybe not having, you know, people in the stands, but they can still, they can still watch from home. We're going to get to our quick hitters here in a minute, but I got a couple offshoot questions before we get there. Uh, first of all, Brandon, when I was working for the state, this was probably four or five years ago, I was putting out road counters, tubes across the roads, and I was in, seemed like the middle of nowhere, and this kid flies by on this giant tractor, just mullet in the wind blowing and i messaged justin st louis i'm like i think brandon lanfear just blew by me on a tractor (laughs) and he asked where i was He's like yeah i think that's him and thank you to your lovely significant other for letting you use her laptop for uh for our interview today is she going to let the uh the luscious mullet come back uh i mean i don't know if she I don't know how much she loved it or hated it, but um, it was time for me to just get rid of it. Um, you know, I was growing my hair out for, for over a year or so. So it was, it was just one of those things where I go, go through phases of growing it out or cutting it off short, you know, whatever it might be. But uh, yeah, that was, you know, I get a lot of shit for that mullet, but hell, I don't give a, I don't give a shit. You know, people will think what they want no matter what. So. And on the uh, the flip side, Marcel, what is uh, what's it like in the preparation for your significant other's enduro debut? It's been good. Um, she, I asked her what her expectation was the other day. I was like, "So what do you what do you want, you know, from this?" And she was like, "I want to make all the laps." I was like, "Holy shit!" Okay, I was like, "So what's your real expectation for this?" And she was like. I want to make it a hundred laps. I was like, okay, we can work with that. We can work with that. I think that uh, she's going to have a good time. Um, Dad put the cage in the car, not me. So even if she destroys that wall, like I did a couple of weeks ago, she's going to be just fine. And uh, I'm excited to watch her do it because maybe next time that I suck, she won't give me so much shit for it. And I know, what was really interesting is you got to do a couple winter enduros with your dad riding shotgun. You're riding shotgun for him. What's that like riding shotgun in an enduro where you have no control in snow? It's terrifying. That's, that's borderline. I mean, like I, I thought for sure. I was like, no, this is going to be nothing, whatever. But no, he is a crazy bastard. So it was like, it was, I was freaking out. I'm like, dude, don't get so damn close to these parked cars. Like he's been sitting there for 10 laps. Why do we got to almost hit him every single time? And I rode with him for two of them. And man, he might have to coax me to get him 
get in there again with him because I, I was not a fan of not having the wheel in my hand. Brandon, would you ever ride shotgun for Dwayne in an enduro? Um, I don't think so. No, I mean, wise choice. Yeah, geez, I don't know. I don't know if I would ride shotgun with anybody in an enduro, to be honest with you. So props to Marcel for doing that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's probably not not going to be on my bucket list. Don't put it on there if it wasn't on there already. And uh, though, on a more serious note, Marcel and talking about your dad is you got the opportunity to race with him last year. Mm -hmm. How kind of huge of a moment was that for you? It was pretty wild. Um, I don't think that I enjoyed it enough because me and him didn't get to race together as much as I hoped because I got in a crash pretty early in the race. Um, But it was, you know, it was insane because like, that's your hero out there, you know, like I can only imagine you know, it's if you got to race, like it would be for some people, like if they got to go on the racetrack with Jeff Gordon or, you know, Dale Earnhardt or anything like that, like that's, that's my guy, you know, like I've been watching him race forever. And it was, it was pretty crazy to uh, actually get to dice it up with him. Um, I remember I pitted and I was like eight laps down and we, we had a wicked car. I mean, it was unbelievable good. And he was still on the lead lap and I caught him. And I pulled on his outside and I passed him and the yellow came out and we share radios. So he's on channel one. I'm on channel two. And all of a sudden I, a voice clicks onto my radio and he's like, okay, I think you proved what you need to prove. Why don't you get that thing out of here? And I'm like, shit. All right. So I pull out and go to the rear. Cause I'm a bunch of laps down, but no, it was, it was awesome, man. I hope that we get to do it again. And um, next time I hope I can put him in a little better piece, you know? And I think we'll really get to dice it up because that man can drive. I mean, he taught me everything I know. Maybe he didn't teach me everything he knows, but he taught me everything I know. I thought he was supposed to dust off the helmet recently, wasn't he? Yeah, we went to White Mountain and dad was going to race. And then the only reason that he didn't end up racing was because we had to race the red car at Thunder Road. And he knew that we needed like a serious gauge on that thing before we brought it to Thunder Road. And at the end of practice, you know, he just didn't feel like he was going to give me a serious enough read on the car to have it benefit us. And, you know, that was big of him because, I mean, he was over there to race. And I told him, I said, listen, dude, you know, we're over here for you. So if you want to go out there, go out there. We'll worry about Thunder Road when we get to Thunder Road. And uh, he he was like, you know, no, I want to I want to know what this thing's got. So when we get to Thunder Road, that we'll be all right. And he let me run it there and. He's going to run again, though. We're going to get him back out there. We're going to go to Thunder Road and test and let him get real comfortable again. I mean, he hadn't been in a car in almost two years, and he'd never raced a late model there. and A lot of things were against him. So, I mean, he made the choice that he thought was smarter for the team to let me get in there and shake it down. And I think it paid off on Thursday night. We were able to salvage a top ten with it. You never know, though. What if he gets in and gets one more win to get further ahead of you? Dude, I hope he does. We're we're not like, you know, he I, I wish he'd get in and win five more of them. I mean, I'm I get more nervous watching my dad race than I think I've ever been besides like Melt Bowl time trials when I race. And uh I love watching him out there and I hope that someday we can give him a you know, good enough car that he can go after another win and maybe once I get mine, you know, to say I was ahead for a little while, maybe he can tie me back up and then we'll just keep going back and forth. That'd be perfect with me. 
All right, let's uh, get into our quick hitters here. And uh, we'll start with Brandon. What was the best race you remember seeing in person that you weren't in the driver's seat for? Man, I don't know. I would say there's been a, there's been quite a few good milk bowls in the last the last few years. Um, man, I don't know. I don't remember what year it was, but uh, it was when I believe Corliss edged Bobby on like the last the last lap there, two laps ago, whatever it was. But that was probably a pretty exciting race, for, you know, to watch in recent memory that I can have. Marcel. Yeah, like Brandon said, I don't remember the year. I want to say it was 2017. Uh, me, my brother, and my dad, we go to the Oxford 250 every year. And it wasn't the 250. It was the ACT race on Saturday night. Brad Babb and Scott Paye must have ran 70 laps side by side at Oxford. And it was just a hell of a race. I don't remember if the finish was exciting. I don't remember if one of them fell off or not. But all I know is those boys were going at it for a lot of that race. And it was, you know, very exciting to watch because now that I've raced at Oxford, you know, that place is very hit or miss where if it's going to be a racy joint that day or if it's not. And to see them race side by side for that long, two guys that are, you know, super talented that they're able to bounce off each other and keep it going. That was probably one of the more exciting races where I've been sitting in the stands and I was pretty juiced up for them. And while Justin is not here, in person. He is here in spirit. So Marcel, tell me what the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car is. Um, actually I do I do know. It was my rookie year and I was racing with Phil Scott. And Phil was has always been pretty known for pinching you down pretty tight. And um we were running probably like eighth or ninth and Phil was pinching me down pretty tight. And my dad came on the radio and he's like, Don't take that you take it now, you'll take it forever. And I was like, all right, you know, like I won't take it. And I took it for a couple more laps. And then I really barreled it in there, like to let Phil know I wasn't going to take it. And, uh, I hit Phil in the driver's door and I spun out in front of the field and, um, Phil drove away and Tyler Cahoon hit me and someone else hit me. I ripped the front end off of my car ripped the rear end off passenger door all because I was trying to tell Phil Scott, who definitely didn't care if I was going to take it or not, that uh, I wasn't going to take being pinched down like that. Look who came out, him. (laughs) I joked with Justin one time that Phil Scott is the Ric Flair of New England racing because he's never met someone he wouldn't chop. (laughs) I love racing with Phil. I really do. And I think Phil's a great guy, but I didn't really know him that well at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, Phil, I'm here. Well, he didn't care. (laughs) Brandon, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car? Oh, shit. I guess, I don't know. I'd probably have to say, um, I don't know, it was my first or second year in street stocks. I was over uh, Speedway 51, and I was battling with Brandon Gray. And I guess we're pretty decent friends now, but back then, I can tell you one thing. We were not friends at all. And... It was the last, I don't know, last lap, and I was I was dogging him pretty good for the last part of that race. And you know, I I'm usually the type of driver to to go to the outside of him if I think I'm faster. But hell, I was young and dumb and didn't really know what I was doing then, I guess. But so uh, kind of rooted him a little bit coming out of two, and got beside him down the back stretch, 
you know, we went, we went into three and he just, he tried to wreck me pretty good. And, uh, I still ended up winning the race, but got DQ'd, uh, for apparently using the too much bumper. So I guess, you know, as probably the lame story that is, you know, it's probably the dumbest thing I've done, but, uh, you know, you get to learn from your mistake. Pissed. I, yeah, true story. I was track announcing that night and Dylan, yeah. was it Dylan, the flam rolled over. Yeah. The start finish yeah. line. So it was a big red flag. Everyone stopped. And they had told me that they were DQing you and Brandon. Yeah. And they sent was- me out there. And I told you while you were in the infield because they wanted to give you that extra time to calm down before you came back out. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty exciting finish, I'm sure, for the fans. Um, especially they got to watch Brandon Gray, you know, do the do the sprint across the infield at me. Um, I don't know if someone got to him before he got to me or if he thought better of it after. I, I don't really remember exactly how it went, but uh, it was uh, it was an exciting finish, definitely. Marcel, you've had some, some pretty cool moments. A uh, fall brawl champion, probably should be a two-time fall brawl champion. Sure. Uh, if you could go back and run one race over, is there one that stands out in your mind that you'd like another crack at? Yeah, um, probably the Governor's Cup last year. Uh, me and Jason raced forever side by side, and I felt at the time we were one and two, I think, in the points. And I was certain that I was going to be able to beat him only because I had passed him on the outside a couple of times, and we just swapping the lead and going at it. And... um I needed to beat him to lap traffic and I remember we were about a lap away and if I could have held him behind, it was a whole line of lap cars. I mean, five, six of them and we're coming up on them side by side. If I could have not overdrove the corner, I overdrove one and two, couldn't keep it in there and Jason up sliding up in front of me and that was all she wrote and he drove off into the sunset. We had a couple yellows and I ended up fifth or sixth, but I don't want to say I'm certain only because of how good he is, but I felt like that was one of the few nights where the 86 was as good as the 66. And if the 86 driver hadn't just made one mistake with about 50 to go, that um, I think we could have stole that thing that night. So I'd probably say I'd like to go back and change that one. uh, If that was my serious answer and my, my non-serious answer would be I'd have dumped Sammy Gooden as soon as I caught him in the fall brawl last year. And I would have won that one. Brandon, does one stick out that you'd wish you could go back and do over? I mean, there's not really one that I guess sticks out in my head. Um, there's definitely a couple, you know, whether it was a freaking, there was one, one, I guess that does, I mean, no, to no fault of anybody's or whatever it was, um, but uh, had just passed for the lead around um the 88 Kevin Dodge and uh yeah we we I just passed him and we went into turn three and I mean we must have hit the same thing and whatever it was we both cut down tires and I mean I should you not we must have hit the wall in almost the exact same spot um and then there was another one uh Sid Sweet where he raced me uh, I guess like he does sometimes uh and ended up in the backstretch wall, kind of two. 
So there's definitely a couple that I'd wish I could, you know, maybe, not, I don't know, nothing I could do too much different there, but uh, definitely ones that I can remember slipping away. All right. One more kind of a, a bonus. Tell me, what are your goals in this? If you looked at it and you could realistically say, this is something that I really want to achieve, tell me what is it that you would like to get to, Brandon? Being where I'm at now with the team I have and the car I have, knowing that it's won, you know, two championships in the last, you know, from 2016 to 2018 when they won, I believe. Um, you know, to me, that's a, I don't, you know, I'm not putting a timetable on because you just, you know, you never know. Um, but I feel like it's realistic that we could eventually win a championship, um, you know, that, I don't know if, if that's realistic or not, but in my head, you know, that's, that's something I would, I would love to do. I mean, I think I know that the car is capable and I know that the crew is capable. Um, just a matter of, of getting, you know, me and the car comfortable with each other. And, you know, I, I don't think it's that far out of, you know, possibility to, to, to get one, you know, whether it's three, five years, who, you know, who knows, but that would be, that would definitely be pretty, pretty damn cool. Marcel? Oh, Nick Mumley asked me this on his show the beginning of this year, I think. And I think this was my answer, but I think it, if it wasn't, it should have been. I want to win the Melt Bowl um, in the worst way. I would obviously, I'd love to win the championship too. But uh, at the end of it all, if I could look back at a picture of me kissing that cow, I would be pretty, I would be pretty pumped because I know, you know, how hard that race is to finish in the top five and let alone win. And for, I got the poll for it. And if I could, you know, win it now, you know, I've done the poll thing. I'd love to get it again. Sure. But, um, if I could win the melt bowl before it was all said and done, uh, I'd be pretty happy, um, being able to look back on that. And, uh, we always seem to have a pretty good car around then. We just got to mix in a little luck with it. So I'm going to say the melt bowl is my one that I'd like to win before I was done. No. I know, Marcel, you grind more than anybody when it comes to the social media for your racing and mm -hmm. with your sponsors, and you really take it to a very professional level. And not everyone does, and that's fine. But uh give you the opportunity, kind of, you want to plug anything? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I appreciate that. I really do my best um, to try to treat it as professional as possible because even though most people don't believe it, my racing program doesn't exist without sponsors. You know, my dad has always told me from the beginning, he'll do anything to that race car, but he can't pay for it and he can't, you know, get me the sponsors. And I mean, my parents are both very successful people in their careers. And I mean, I'm sure if they wanted to, they could definitely maybe get me through, but that's not their style. You know, they want me to earn it. And, um, so I definitely try to do everything I can to keep it professional and uh, definitely humongous shout out to uh, Pete's Equipment Sales and Rentals. Um, that's my new sponsor and I think we're going to have them for a long time. Um, Jason is loving it, very involved. We have a great relationship and I mean, I have all, I mean, I have all kinds of great partners, you know, with uh, New England Auto Glass, uh, Donald Blake Jr. Incorporated. Uh, LaCares has been a big supporter of mine. Um, Nathan Brown building and remodeling Megan's dad. He supports me. And, uh, 
a bunch of others that I honestly, I can't even remember them because I'm just super fortunate that I have a ton of sponsors. And um, finally, all the work with it paid off, you know, this year with landing this one with Pete's equipment. And uh, it's really big. We got some pretty big stuff that we're able to do because because of these guys. And probably by the time this airs, everybody will know anyway. But um, my Port City race car should be here tomorrow. And uh, we plan on running it for three or four uh, races at the end of this year. And then uh, we're going to go after that championship 2022 with it and try to get it done. So humongous shout out to them and everybody that supports me. I wouldn't be here without them. And uh, where can people follow you? Uh, We have the Facebook page, which is just under gravel racing. And then I don't do anything with my racing really on Twitter. Uh, We do Instagram, which is gravel 86 Marcel. And I post stuff on there, you know, anything during the off season, stuff like that. But uh, it used to be just me with the Facebook page, but Megan does a good job of keeping everybody updated during the race nights and stuff. So definitely head over there if you want to see what we're up to. Brandon, you got anything you want to plug? Yeah, well, I mean, I got to thank my car owner first and foremost. You know, without Richard, um, obviously, I I don't know if I would be in racing a late model this year. So um, Richard and Liz Green have been have been you know like family now. Um, so I mean, it's been a really good first half of the season. Um, I got to thank Joe. Uh, Joe. Joey Becker is definitely one of the, you know, he kind of, he reminds me a lot of, of Marcel's father, um, just crafty, um, you know, some of the shit that he uses like for fender braces, you know, just, it, I don't know. It's, I mean, for hell freaking my street stock was made out of half a school bus probably. So, uh, <laughs> you know, bus, just, rails. yeah, exactly. Uh, so no, I mean Joe is just he's he's wicked smart with with that. I mean he's built that that race car, you know, help I don't even know how many years ago now. But um, and Brendan, you know he he knows what he's doing when it comes to, to set up. And him and Joe, you know, they go at it. And and Todd, um, you know, he does his part with that too. Um, you know, Todd works works for Richard at the at the truck truck stop um, truck shop, I should say. And, uh, so, you know, he, he helps out a lot, um, without those three guys, you know, I wouldn't be able to do what, what we're doing. Um, you know, so, and obviously Richard's businesses, Green's Ace Hardware in Enosburg, um, pro driver training and Richard Green trucking without, without those businesses to help support, you know, his racing career, you know, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm super lucky to be, you know, where I'm at and, I really can't, I won't ever be able to thank them enough for, for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and he brought up a good thing that I, I only did the sponsorship route, but definitely my dad for me too, you know, and obviously he knows that. So, I mean, it's not like he might not even hear this, but um, without him, you know, uh, not. Wow. I, I would hope you could at least get us a listen from your dad, please. <laughs> maybe, maybe for this episode, but um, without him, not a thing would be possible, man. You know, not, not a thing. Um, he does everything for me, you know, and more. And I wish everybody had uh, him in their racing career because, you know, if they did, they would, it would be a lot easier for him. Um, he'll go, you know, through anything to try to, you know, make me better. Or if I rip it all to hell, he'll help me rebuild it. And, uh, my, my family is very supportive. You know, my mom letting 
my dad live in the garage and um, with Megan tolerating me also living out there. So uh, definitely got a good core group of people around me that it wouldn't be possible without. Well, I want to thank you guys for kind of hopping on short notice. We weren't sure what we were going to do this week once we figured out that uh, Justin couldn't couldn't make it this week. Uh, and it was something that we kind of wanted to do in terms of we go through a lot of past drivers. You know, you guys are a couple weeks removed from, you know, Bobby Dragon. And we've had, you know, some of your current ones, your Nick Sweets, your Derek O'Donnells, who have kind of already put in a big chunk of that legacy. And it, it was important for us to also kind of show that next generation of, of people. And I think you guys had definitely have the potential to be around for a while. And, you know, hopefully, who knows, maybe some three-year stretch they'll talk about the Gravel-Lanfear rivalry that was to the death. They might do that. The battle of the big-nosed kids from Lamoille County. <laughs> well, thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us, Tom. Thanks again to Brandon and Marcel for giving us the time to get this episode done. And like I said, on a bit of short notice, but once again, that was our first real attempt at going on the younger end and up and coming drivers. And we got a chance to do two. Let us know what you thought about it. If you liked it, let us know maybe some young drivers you'd like us to talk to. We always love to hear from you. We always love to hear new ideas and new names. We do the guest, the guest on every Monday. And usually each week we'll get one or two guesses of drivers we hadn't even maybe even thought about yet that we add to our list of people that we might want to talk to. I think someone guessed this week when we said it was two at the same time, the hammer and double O Joe and Justin and I messaged each other laughing. Like, can you imagine sitting down with the hammer and double O Joe and trying to have a crazy conversation? Could be a good time. We'll see, but we want to hear those suggestions. We want to hear your ideas and you can send them to us via our social medias where we hope you're following us. It is Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook. Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. If you're listening to us on Apple, make sure to leave us that five-star review. Helps us with the algorithms and what have you. Google, Spotify, wherever you listen, subscribe, follow notifications on, make sure all that good stuff. So you get all our episodes as soon as they come out. Justin should be back with us next week. I know he was very upset that he did not take part in this week's episode and he is just raring and ready to go to get back in here. And I can't wait to have my buddy back. It's not as fun doing it without him. So he should be back next week. This episode, though, is now drawing to its conclusion. 
You have been listening to Uncommon Deeds, a production of Uncommon Media.